Hello and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson and we're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And in this podcast, what we want to do is to help you to find the joy in parenting and ditch some of that kind of guilt and anxiety that parenting is full of. Absolutely. We're so keen to help you get rid of some of that parental anxiety and have much, much more fun. So every episode we're going to chat through some of the issues that crop up for parents and the things that can make you worried or make you think about what your child should, in inverted commas, or shouldn't be doing. So we're going to help you to understand what might be going on in your child's development and that will help you to relax a bit more, maybe see things differently and appreciate the children develop at their own pace. Last time we talked about Christmas and offered some tips on how to cope at this time of year. It really helps to be what we call a realistic parent at Christmas, meaning that not everything will go to plan. You might lose your temper, you might have a bit of a meltdown, but if you're realistic and expect a few moments like these, you'll feel more relaxed when it happens. Today we've chosen to talk about a really, really big topic, which is challenging behaviour. And what we're really going to try and help parents understand is what is a realistic expectation of a child's behaviour at different stages of their life. And I think once we really begin to lift the veil on what's developmentally appropriate, it does help us see things in a different light, certainly help me see things in a different light. So, Alistair, you've been working with families and children for, well, I'm not going <laughs> to say how time. long because it's always... Thanks, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> over don't... 30 years. Okay, over 30 years. Mm. You said it, not me. Um, so you have witnessed and really sort of understood some of the key challenges that parents can come across when it comes to the children's behaviour and how to best respond to them. So what are the sort of big things that parents find most challenging when it comes to the children's behaviour? And of course, I've got three boys of my own, now adults. So I think people sometimes assume because you're in childcare or education, you're then the perfect parent that can manage their own children's behaviour. We wish. Yeah. What I found was other people's children are really easy to manage. It's just your own that are really difficult. And I think part of that is a thread of what we'll talk about today, that actually how you parent has a real impact on your Huge. children's behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. But I think if we're talking about like what is challenging behaviour, the really important thing to say is that behavior is not the child so often we lump the two things together and we'll talk mm-hmm. about things our parents might use phrases like naughty boys or naughty girls and mm-hmm. actually then you're labeling the child with whatever behavior they've demonstrated mm-hmm. but if you think about behavior is a child's way of expressing or articulating something that they haven't got the language to express yeah, yeah. so they then tend to use it through emotion or physical often outburst if it's challenging behavior mm-hmm. Then if you see it that way, that it's separate, it's actually because they can't do what they want to do or tell you what they want to tell you and the behaviour therefore comes out. It often makes it easier for us to deal with. I know one of the things that parents find challenging is those very early days when babies are crying because they're hungry or because they're tired. But that's not really what this is going to be focusing on. We're sort of going a little bit further along the age journey of a child. But maybe just touch on that because it it is a challenging time. I think if we're talking about how humans behave is one thing because there's a lot of science behind your developmental behaviour. But what we're talking about is challenging behaviour. So when children behave outside of our expectation of how they should be behaving and sometimes the parents 
Say, for example, when your baby's waking in the night and crying, that can be outside of your expectation. But actually, as we know, biologically... Totally realistic. Yeah, children, children aren't actually biologically equipped to sleep through the night. So really, as parents, we should go into that phase with an expectation that they will wake. Mm-hmm. And that's far more usual than that kind of baby that sleeps through. So when we're looking at that kind of behaviour, that's developmental. And I think what we're going to tackle today mm-hmm. are those behaviours that sit outside of the kind of expectation. Absolutely. We are actually going to do a whole uh, podcast on sleep anyway, so we can touch on that a bit a bit of a deeper dive into that later. Absolutely, and I'm sure we will revisit behaviour again and possibly again in our podcast. So if you're listening and you've got any thoughts or questions, by all means get in touch. And also, we have got some really good blogs and articles on our website dealing with behaviour if you want to go and have a look at those. Okay, so the biggies that parents often um, talk to us about are things like, you know, the child biting or hurting a sibling or ignoring what they say, throwing food, not Lying, sharing. swearing, all <laughs> sorts of things. The full gamut, I the suppose. The full yeah. gamut. So we're going to pick a few of those, Alistair. What's your favourite topic? Where should we start? Oh, well, I am fascinated by children's behaviour because obviously it links so much to their development. But also what's really interesting is that if you have multiple children, so you have sibling groups, behaviour can differ because of where you sit in those sibling groups. Mm -hmm. But also, the thing that has the biggest impact on children's behaviour is how we parent them. I know it's a painful truth, but it is a truth and we have to talk about it. And often what you can't see inside the parenting bubble is how you parent your children. Mm -hmm. And so often, you'll find it with your friends, uh, your your own siblings. So like when I sit with my brother and his family and their children, we're all terribly judgmental about how other people parent their children, but knowing that they're doing exactly exactly the same to us. I think it's always easier to see from the oh, outside looking in absolutely. than when you're absolute when you're in the thick of it yourself. Because you are living it and mm-hmm. you also parent in the way that either you were parented or against the way that you were parented. So if, if you were parented in a way that you didn't like, then obviously you do the opposite. But if you are parented in a way that you've made you feel secure, then you will do that. So, And you don't see that that's subconscious. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when you've got couples who are parenting and they've got very different styles of parenting. So one might be particularly strict and the other might be particularly lax because they're trying to make up for the strictness. But then you might get children who are kind of in the middle and not quite sure which one's going where, what. And this is what. where our children then start to pick us off one at a time and play one against the and other. They're and they're brilliant at that. And yeah. again, that's not always a conscious thing that children do. It can be a subconscious, just... A talent. It is a talent, (laughs) but it's that ability as a human being to survive and the knowledge of how you can play your carers off against each other. And they absolutely do. But there are some behaviours, if we go way back to the very beginning, I mean, you mentioned things like, you know, when your children are sitting maybe in the high chair and they're doing that really annoying thing as a parent where you feed them and then they just throw it all on the floor and then you pick it up and they throw it all on the floor. I think that's one of my earliest memories of, of what I considered to be quite challenging. And I know that you helped me sort of look at that with a completely different set of eyes through a different lens, knowing that actually what was going on was quite normal and quite developmentally appropriate. So maybe we could explore that one further. So 
when children are developing, they often go through a lot of repeated behaviours, which are sometimes called schemas. If you mm-hmm. Google that, you'll find out lots of information about that. But what a schema is basically, and I'm paraphrasing, is just a repeated behaviour. But it's a habitual behaviour, and children don't stop doing it until they've repeated it enough times that it becomes exhausted. So they're working through a process in their brain. So when you're child is picking up their food and dropping it one aspect of that may well be this scheme of what they'd call trajectory which is basically chucking stuff <laughs> so the idea you're also experiencing cause and effect i lift it up i drop it it falls on the floor but then my carer gives me a positive or negative reaction doesn't matter it's a reaction uh-huh. so i get a little bit of payback because i get a response then they pick it up and return it to its starting point so that's a little bit of a serve and return so we're mm-hmm. now having a non-verbal communication so of course my brain's going to say this is ace all these things happen just because i dropped this cucumber stick on the floor let's do it again and of course that repeated behavior goes on and on and on pulling socks off in the buggy chucking them with gay abandon out the bus all those kind of things those repeated behaviors are linked to that kind of schematic development for children. So as adults, it is frustrating to keep putting the socks back on. It is frustrating to keep putting the carrot sticks back on the, obviously if they're clean and you know, if they're free. <laughs> but actually what you are doing is helping that child to work through that schematic behaviour and also beginning to have that initial communication often non-verbal which is so important when we become adults so there's two ways i might react to that i might get really frustrated with my child and get you know a little bit angry about the fact that they're throwing that food on the floor or what's the or what would be the textbook perfect way to respond to that and i know we're not perfect beings but it's good to know what we should aspire to so my kind of hint for that would be if you're serving snack and it's whatever it may be, uh, fruit or cucumber sticks or whatever, get a variety of little pots if you've got them mm-hmm. and put one in each pot mm-hmm. because then the child's got the opportunity to explore lots of cause and effect, lots of that schematic behaviour, other things other than trajectory. So mm-hmm. there are schemas about enclosing things where you put things inside things. The schemas around transporting things where you move things. So there's all sorts of things children can do with that. And what it means is it's not just that pick and drop. Mm-hmm. You've given them other things to explore. And I always comfort myself knowing that now that I go out for dinner with my 12-year-old, she doesn't sit there dropping her food on the floor, expecting me to pick it up and put it back on the table. I mean, they do grow out of these things and it is that sort of patience and understanding. And also as parents, we say things like, leave it on the high chair, leave it in the bowl, put it back back in the bowl, come on, put it in the bowl. And actually... What they are doing is demonstrating their brain is developing, their brain is growing, they're thinking, so you can see thinking. You know, sometimes you say, I can almost see the cogs turning. Yeah. This is moments where you can actually see the cogs turning, you can almost see the brain building. Mm-hmm. So actually what we need to do is to give them loads more opportunities to brain build and see it as that. And mm-hmm. yes, it might be slightly annoying, but actually if you think, well, actually what I'm helping my child do is build their brain, yep. is much more rewarding than thinking, stop chucking the cucumber on the floor i literally don't think i've met a single parent who hasn't had a child chuck the food onto the floor it is a thing that they all do so actually if we recognize that i think we can start to relax into the journey a little bit more it's exactly what we're trying to help parents with is to see it differently yeah to see it as a phase something that children are going through a developmental phase that will improve with time 
I think picking on another one that feels really common when I talk to other parents is the mortification you feel when your child either won't share or snatches somebody else's toy. Again, and that's every child will go through that because what children aren't born with is empathy. Mm-hmm. So they aren't born with an understanding of how somebody else feels. All of that occurs in their frontal lobes and that can take some children a number of years to develop that mm-hmm. level of empathy. Yeah. And so often what we do as parents, well-meaning, is to say things like share, be nice, say sorry, all those things that involve my ability to understand why am I saying sorry? Because I can't even understand the concept that somebody else might be sad, mm-hmm. even though I might be able to see them crying. I can know they're crying, but I can't empathise with their sadness. So therefore, I don't see the need to say sorry. So we often push children very early on into situations where there's never going to be a winner. Well, if we think about the playgroup as usually your, or often your first interaction with other children of a similar age, and that is when that first absolutely mortifying example of it typically happens. So there's other parents in the room, your child's the one that's just snatched the toy, or your child's the one that won't share. And they're tiny children typically at this age, usually pre-going to nursery. Yeah, and what we're doing is putting adult expectations on very little children. Or you get a child who might bite because that's a non-verbal response to something being taken away mm-hmm. and not forgetting that when we put little children into those situations like play group which we go into adult as adults with an adult view yeah often if if you are that little and you've got a possession and someone takes it away your brain will just tip back into fight or flight mm-hmm. because that's occurring to you it's an unusual thing it doesn't happen to you at home and therefore what you do is either go and sit behind your parents legs or go and sit in their yeah, knee yeah. or you snatch it back or you hit the person who's taken it or you bite them mm-hmm. so what children are often doing although it's not always pleasant for the recipient is they are just demonstrating normal in inverted commas behavior so if we were more realistic about our expectations of our very young children all of us as parents, we'd, we'd start to understand these situations differently, wouldn't we? I think we would, and that might make you handle that situation differently as a parent. Because I think as a parent, you either are so mortified mm-hmm. that you defend the other child and chastise yours, or you come out like a lion or a lioness, and you're like, how dare you, You know, <laughs> this is my child. And neither of those are particularly good for the child who's concerned. What ideally you would say in an ideal world is, oh, look at them demonstrating typical difference development of behaviour. <laughs> Maybe that needs to be our new strap line. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see that becoming the mantra at the local play group. It'd be lovely if it did though. So what children develop to enable them to manage their behaviour is a thing called executive function. So that's right. your ability to think at a higher level and mm-hmm. think about more than one thing at once. And as adults, we're really good at executive function. And when we lose it, that's when we lose our rag, when we lose that ability to think. Mm-hmm. But children don't have that high level executive function when they're little. So they don't have that ability to think ahead or to assume what might happen or to recall previous experience for context. So they just go to primeval basic response. Like, for example, if you go to a restaurant and you order steak and chips mm-hmm. and you look forward to that and you really want it and you can smell it from the kitchen, and then the waiter brings you salad, you would say, <laughs> excuse me, I think there might be something wrong with my order. I ordered steak and chips because you've got a high level executive function yeah, yeah. which allows you to do that. When you're 18 months old, two years old, you just haven't got that. So you just lie on the floor, scream, cry, it'll snuck him out your nose, saying, <laughs> I wanted steak and chips. So if we understand that it's actually biological development, mm-hmm. then that helps us to be easier with that behaviour. Yeah. But also when we are developing things like empathy, 
they develop through a series of lots of different things. So they don't wake up one morning and say, oh, today I've got empathy. So things like language, stories, demonstrations of adults talking about you articulating empathy to a child who you know hasn't developed it yet. So Mm -hmm. your daddy's feeling sad because Mm -hmm. none of those things are like a magic slot where empathy is just going to appear. But they begin to, yeah. yeah. It's like the grains of sand that just build and build and build and then... But if a child steals a digger off one of my children Mm -hmm. because they want it and they can't say, can I play with that digger, please, I'd like a turn. Or they do say that and my child just says, no, (laughs) that's perfectly normal, typical behaviour. I guess we're saying we're never going to get that mantra in the local playgroup. But I I suppose what we're trying to arm you with is those realistic expectations when you do take your child there for the first time and that confidence that, you know, don't expect them to be these perfect beings. It's not why you're bringing them there. You're bringing them there to experience these things and to begin to develop these skills, but they're not going to happen overnight. And behaviour is complex. So you as a child display behaviour that the adults see as being a negative behaviour, mm-hmm. you will get a whole host of negative attention mm-hmm. from probably a number of adults. Now, your subconscious brain doesn't care whether attention's positive or negative, it's attention. Yeah. So what you're also doing is training that subconscious brain that actually, when I want a bit of attention, and it's not a conscious thought for a lot of children, I if I do this, then this happens. Yeah. So therefore... I do this. And when uh-huh. I'm in this situation, that reminds me of the last time I was here and I did this and this happened. Mm-hmm. And therefore I repeat that behavior or I don't. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of things we do unwittingly trying to kind of mediate or chastise or support our children that actually just reinforce the negative behaviors. So help me out here. So I've just taken my child to the playgroup for the very first time and she's sat there, snatched another child's toy and the other child's crying. Give me some tools in my kit bag to help me deal with that situation. So if your child has snatched a toy off another child, I think your gut response is to take the toy off them and give give it it back. back. It it would be my gut response, but I know different. So explain. Well, what I would say is that probably distraction is the best method in that situation because you're dealing with two children that haven't got the high level executive function that you have got as an adult. So actually, if you just take the toy back off your child, you're just going to ensue that kind of, but I have Well, we've got two crying children then. That's not helped. So what you're saying is I understand developmentally what has occurred here. Yeah. I'm slightly mortified as an yeah, adult. Still slightly mortified. Yeah, yeah. I know better. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is proactively introduce distraction through other toys, mm-hmm. through interaction that will actually calm the situation. Yeah. And then ideally you will have two children who are happy in their play with the full expectation that it is likely to happen again and again and again and again (laughs) now why is that not rewarding poor behavior because the child is not at the stage of development cognitively that they make that association between the poor behavior and a reward Mm -hmm. they're at the stage of development cognitively where they think i want it I am completely at the centre of my own world. And and as parents, we give them that message all of the time. Mm-hmm. You're, you are the centre of everything that exists. So I want that. I'm going to take it. And that's about where the development stops. Mm-hmm. Later on, yep. then there is a risk that if you, a child deliberately does something for a deliberate response, and that's children who are much further down their journey, yep. and then you reward that behaviour, 
that can have negative connotations. But at this stage of development, it's literally about, I want it, I want to have it. Absolutely. So it's that understanding of what's developmentally appropriate right now. So of course, later on, it's appropriate to introduce the idea of saying sorry, or to introduce the idea of saying, whoa, hold on a minute. You know, little Johnny was playing with that. What do we do here? Yeah. And obviously when we're talking about later on, we know that development doesn't all happen on the same day. Nope. So some children will reach these developmental milestones earlier than others. So for some, it might be around two, three years old. For others, it might be four or five years old. It just depends on the child. I think that's why in our app, we have unique journeys through all of these different phases yeah. so that you can kind of really begin to tune into where your child's at and what's a realistic expectation of your child and where they are right now. And what you can do with them to help them to get on to that to next, the next stage. bit yeah just thinking back to the steak and chips that you've just talked about before and being you know Go given on. the salad instead yeah. that analogy works for so many different ways that children can respond what we might think to be unreasonable to say a situation where i've given the drink in the pepper pig cup and kitty wanted it in the postman <laughs> yeah. pack cup but just explore that a little bit well again within that there's lots of complex things going on so there's a bit about power and ownership so the idea that you've made a choice Mm -hmm. because you were given that choice or you wanted to have a choice and we've talked before about the fact that in children's lives there is very little choice Mm -hmm. everything is chosen for them what you're going to wear what time you go to bed what you're going to eat where you're going to go so any little opportunity to claim a bit of power is is theirs. And once you've made that decision, you know what? There is no difference between really the Peppa Pig cup and the Postman Pat cup, but... Picking all the peas there in the example just to yeah, keep you challenged. Really good for the podcast. <laughs> uh, so it's just the idea that if you don't give them the one that in their head, so what they can't say is, again, it's all about executive function. We would think, right, well, didn't particularly want that glass. I'm not the end bothered. of the world. Yeah, I'm yeah. either going to say, could I just swap my glass out, please? Or, you know, but they can't, they haven't got that ability to think at that level. So it's like, I wanted that. I haven't got that. My world is literally ending. <laughs> and what they can't then say is, excuse me, please, could I? So that's when it begins to escalate. And of course, yeah. we get frustrated as parents. And we are like literally saying, what's the difference? It's a cup, just drink. But it is really important. And then at those situations, when you've got a child who's at that level of anxiety because of a... Something that to us as an adult seems crazy, yeah. Yeah. Well, the best thing to do is literally to calm that down yep. and say, okay, I see you, I hear you, I'm going to sort it out for you, what can we do? Yeah, it's really frustrating and we're talking about in an ideal scenario and you might be out in the middle of somewhere and it's not always appropriate, but that idea of not saying, right, just shush, just drink out the cup anyway, just doesn't matter because it really does matter. Yeah, their reaction means that it does matter. Yeah, And, and if at all possible, the easiest thing likely to do is to swap the drink into the postman pack up and say oh sorry I didn't understand but now I do here you go yeah so it's not about parent fails it's not about you losing out or losing face as a parent because your child won you over by getting the cup they wanted in the end at this stage in their development these are perfectly normal things to do yeah just meeting them where they're at when it's age appropriate to do so I think for those of us that are sort of second child in or have friends with children, we can see young children being quite defiant sometimes and, you know, almost yes means no and no means yes and don't means do. (laughs) 
Yeah, and again, defiance, if you reframe it slightly, defiance is showing there is cognitive development. Beginning to happen. And well well into happening and and personal social development because to defy something, you have to understand what it is you're defying. But often as parents, we give children really easy access to do the wrong thing. So by saying things like... It's like like, low-hanging fruit. It is. Don't do that. Don't put that there. That use of the word don't is like an invitation to do yeah because also when you do something that's a little bit bad and a little bit wrong and even as adults we get it you get a little kind of frisson of excitement around (laughs) oh this is good so sometimes we do things that we know are not the right thing to do because actually the moment the excitement we get in the moment can make us feel quite good about it. It is quite bizarre when you chi- when you see children repeatedly do something that will get quite a negative reaction from the parent quite typically. I mean, why would you set yourself up for that negative reaction? Because it basically is like a chain reaction that you know. If I do, if somebody says to you, don't, mm-hmm. and then you do, then you know what's coming next. We all know what's coming next. And it's not going to be a parent saying, well done, put another <laughs> sticker on your chart. It's a parent <laughs> going to be saying, I said don't, and then you've done it right. Well, whatever their particular sanction is. Now, we've talked about this a lot. You would think that as human beings, we would just crave positive attention and we would try and veer away from negative attention, Uh but it's not how our brains work. Right. So children, lots of children, uh, especially within the confines of their own home, Mm -hmm. will be very comfortable with negative attention because it's negative attention that's given from a key adult. They might be different outside of the home and it's somebody they don't know very well. But that idea that a don't, and then I do, will always be followed by something, Mm -hmm. is, again, a typical sign of development. And also a little bit of power, a little bit of control, which you talked about before. You're telling me, you're in charge, you're saying don't, and I'm pushing against you. I'm claiming a bit of power Mm -hmm. by doing the thing that you said not to do. And that's me just practicing being a human being because that kind of claiming of power is something I'm going to need as I emerge into the adult world. While we're talking about challenging behaviour, can we just discuss the naughty step and our views on it? Yes, we absolutely can. So the naughty step really made famous by Super Nanny, uh, maybe 20 year, odd years ago. Yep. The idea being that when a child displays a behaviour that you don't find acceptable as an adult, you take them out to the bottom step of the stairs, you leave them on their own for one minute for every year they've been alive, then you go back to them. If they leave the step, they must be returned to the step until they have stayed on the step for one minute for every year they've been alive. And what is the point of this step? Well, when you speak about it in those terms, you think, why does any parent think that's a good idea? So for all the things that we've discussed, if your child has reached a point where emotionally they can't articulate what it is or they're behaving in a way that is such or there is more extreme than their usual behaviour because they can't articulate what they're thinking and feeling. Removing them and sitting them on a step by themselves, isolated, where nobody can coach them or articulate them or or any of that. And for a prolonged period of time where also they begin then often to escalate that behaviour or that emotion escalates Mm -hmm. and then it escalates some more. And then what you're doing is putting them back on the step and back on the step. What they're not learning is no child ever from the naughty step said, thank you for those four minutes to reflect on my poor behaviour. I shan't be doing that again. (laughs) What they learn is the minute you say naughty step, it just 
triggers that anxiety of, I don't want to go, I don't want to be there. And you put them right back in that really high state of emotion. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with it is everything's wrong with it. Because yeah. what we should be doing is really, as we've been talking about, acknowledge where your child is at, calm where they are. So the first point of call should be to calm them down. Even if you know there needs to be discussion or there needs to be resolution, yeah, yeah. that can only happen when it's calm. So your role as an angry, frustrated, upset parent mm-hmm. is to calm down and then revisit at an appropriate time. So it's not about ignoring the behaviour or saying they're going to, in inverted commas, get away with it. But what it is is about applying developmentally appropriate strategies for what a child is clearly demonstrating in their behaviour. So instead of using the naughty step, it's about the idea of knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. So it's about understanding the triggers that might lead to repeated behaviours. Like we've talked about today, it might be reflecting on those behaviours and thinking, right, for me as a parent, did I preempt that with positive language? Did I see that coming and try and do something else? When that behaviour occurred, did I respond in a developmentally appropriate way? Or did I actually add fuel to the flame by getting cross or getting angry or maybe you know, quite normally for realistic parents, mm-hmm. losing my own rag because mm-hmm. I'm very frustrated or tired or whatever it may be. So it's about reflecting on what gets you from when a child does something to the point where you'd need to physically lift them up and put them on an naughty step. Mm-hmm. So maybe what we can look at next is some hacks that can really help us avoid some of this low-hanging fruit that we give our children yeah. um, and be maybe a little bit proactive in avoiding some of these situations if we know what's likely to happen next. Absolutely. Okay, Alistair, so why don't we try and come up with five parenting hacks to support parents with their children's challenging behaviour? Okay, number one for me would be don't say don't. That's a biggie. (laughs) Try and find other ways or other words to use instead of don't Ah, because you're starting with a negative. Right, so you're just making it easy for a child to be defiant because you've immediately given them something that they now want to do. Number two, preemptive praise. And that's basically just saying something good and positive before the behaviour happens. So when you feel it coming on or if you're preempting it, then just say something positive about the child, the environment, the situation, because that's often enough to head it off at the pass. So give us an example of preemptive praise. You're playing with that toy really well. I love the way you've built that Oh, your picture is lovely. Tell me something about what you've done. I love the way you're sitting at the table holding your knife and fork. All of those things just preempt what might be coming next. And as you say, if often it's about craving a bit of attention, then they're proactively getting Absolutely. that attention and that might just help in the moment. Yeah. So number three, give choice. As children are developing, they need that opportunity to be able to demonstrate or express a preference. So the more choices you can give them that allow them to take control, the less meltdowns you might have. So examples might be at food time, saying which plate would you like, what cup would you like. They're much less likely to have a meltdown about being given the wrong cup if they've been involved in picking a cup. Absolutely. Love it. Number four, stay calm. Really hard one, really, really hard one. But again, I think as parents, we've got to be proactive in 
acknowledging that this is all about development and that might help us to see a little bit calmer but just trying to take a breath and also step outside the situation sometimes helps you to tackle it in a more ingenious way than in the moment yeah I think as you say it is a hard one but it is the most effective thing if you can be the calm in the situation it's going to help bring the dial down and then what about number five being realistic Like we say all the time in my first five years, it's all about being a realistic parent. So sometimes you will think, oh, I stepped in before that behaviour happened. I put in place a strategy. I'm a best parent ever. And other times it'll all go disastrously wrong and everybody end up crying. But (laughs) that's the joy of parenting. I think what it's about is sharing your experience, reflecting and just thinking about how you can do it better. I think a takeaway I'd love you to have from this is that we're not alone you're not alone and that every parent is going through this you know children do not come into this world perfectly behaved and stay perfectly behaved they come into this world crying (laughs) and you know they've got an opinion (laughs) right from the get-go and the more we can understand the more we can reframe what we see the more we can respond in a way that's going to help the situation not escalate the situation but the more as well that we can share our stories truthfully and and stop pretending to be this perfect parent and and stop aspiring to perfect children because it just doesn't exist and talk to your peers talk to your family and of course if you are ever concerned about your children's behavior then speak to a healthcare professional absolutely share your experience because if we all did a bit more of that it would normalize what is normal parenting so we really want you to tell us what you think about our episode and also anything you'd like us to discuss in this podcast because it really is for you. Absolutely. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok at My First Five Years with the five written out. If you want to read more about behaviour, there are lots of blogs on myfirstfiveyears.com, which is mffy.com, um, including one of my favourites, which is that your child is really a cave person. And please do head over to our Instagram and tell us your thoughts and questions about behaviour challenges with your children. And thanks for the ones you've posted already. So Jenny and I will be answering them all week on our social media channels. Next time, we're going to talk about food and nutrition with our My First Five Years nutrition expert, Lucy Upton. So Lucy literally is the font of knowledge when it comes to things like weaning, fussy eating and all the ways you can be a more realistic parent whilst trying to feed your child healthy food. Don't forget to rate, review and follow my first five years as that really helps. Thank you.